Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. God was bringing judgment upon all the gods of Egypt. And every single time that their god was defeated, whether it was the god of the Nile, the god of the land, whatever it was, they, instead of hardening, instead of giving their heart over and allowing God's people to go free, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And there came a point when he began to harden his heart so much, there's, it's recorded for us two or three times in those chapters that Pharaoh hardened, or God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio. Our scripture today says, Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh harden their hearts? Aware of the Exodus account, the Philistines rightly remembered that no good comes when anyone hardens their heart against the Lord. Even in the purely self-interested sense, it isn't smart to harden your heart against the Lord. If that's what you choose, then there will come a time when the Lord gives you what you want. Now let's join Pastor Rob. And they answered, five golden tumors, literally hemorrhoids. When this thing happened, when this plague came upon them, many believe it was the bubonic plague because the bubonic plague had you would develop boils in your private areas and also under your armpits for some reason, huge ones. I mean, I'm talking like golf ball, baseball size sometimes. And they are very, very painful. So this was not an easy thing for them to go through. But as a pagan culture, whatever hurts them, that's what they put their worship into. And so instead of just, you know, they could have just asked the Lord to forgive him. You know, they could have just got on their faces and say, Lord, we repent of our idolatry. All these gods mean nothing. We bow to you alone. Lord, please heal us. And you know what? I bet the Lord would have said, oh, wonderful. And I bet he would have done it. I bet he would have done it if they would have cried out to him. But they didn't. So they put five golden tumors, five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of, the, of you and your lords. Notice they put not only the, 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 the cause of it, but also the effect. Does that make sense? The cause and the effect. What was the cause of it? Or what was the spreader of it? The rats. And the tumors were the result of it. So the cause of it and the effect of it, they make gold images out of those things because they know no better. So they're like, we better cover all of our bases. So they do that. And because they were polytheistic, they wanted to make sure that if they thought they had offended any one of those gods, that they would do whatever they could to appease him. 
But superstition was something that really ruled them. Superstition is actually a belief or practice resulting from ignorance, uh, the fear of the unknown. It's also a trust in magic or chance or a false conception of causation. That's what superstition is. And our country is filled with superstition. I was brought up with superstition. You know, the black cat, the number 13, Friday the 13th. You know, don't step on a crack. You make your mother, you know, break your mother's back. Um, you know, if a bird hits a window, it's bad luck. You know, there's all kinds of don't go underneath a ladder. That's bad luck. And, you know, knock on wood. All these things. And in every culture, every culture in the world. And I've been over to Bulgaria. I've been over to Israel. They all have their different superstitions, and it's embedded in our upbringing. How many times you say good luck to somebody? Not that it's a sin to say good luck. I mean, and that's not going to send anybody to hell, right? Re- you know, rejecting Christ to the end is going to send us to hell if we're not born again. But saying those things aren't going to send you to hell or anything. But you know what? I- I've often caught myself thinking differently about the things that are very prevalent in our culture. Instead of saying good luck, I say the Lord bless you. <laughs> you know, that's really more accurate. That's really what I, because luck has nothing to do with it. Luck has nothing to do with it. It has nothing. And I believe, this is my opinion, I believe that we don't honor the Lord when we hold to such superstitions. Because for the child of God, nothing is left to chance. There's no such thing as good luck or coincidence. There's God incidents where we find, we find ourselves in certain places and we're amazed at how the Lord could have orchestrated that. I can't tell you how many times in my life that's occurred. Where I've been someplace at the right place at the right time and if I had only brushed my teeth three seconds more or less, that morning I would have missed the opportunity. That blows my mind. Does that blow your mind? That means that my life, everything, even when I'm not even think about it, because the Lord knows. And if he really wants me to meet something or to be in touch with someone or something to happen, believe me, he can say, well, Rob's taking his time. He's not really thinking about anything. Well, I'm just going to delay them a little bit because I got a, a rendezvous. And I tell you what, that's really amazing to consider because it happens, and it happens too much for it to be coincidence. There is no coincidence. There is only God incidence. Amen? So be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by that. But superstition is really a misplaced trust. It's not trusting God, and really what it does is it exposes unbelief in our hearts when we, when we say that the cause is something else other than God himself. We have to trust him. Everything that comes in and out of our life, whether it's good, positive, or indifferent, whatever it may be, it is all by the hand of a loving God who knows all things. So don't be discouraged, even when you go through difficult things. Why me, God? I mean, I've known people in this fellowship. There's one, one lady who's, who sits over here usually when she comes on Thursday nights, and she's been through the ringer. I mean, why is it? That God would allow you know, three family members within a year to, to pass away, including her husband. God, what, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Do you love this woman at all? And I can almost hear God saying, Rob, you have no idea. You have no idea what I'm doing. I'm doing things so deep in her heart that you can't understand it. It's her time. You follow me and you stay on the course, but what I've got to do in this life is precious to me. 
And she doesn't even realize it now, but I'm going to use this for the good. And then we have to say, God, this is your business. I need to stand by and let you be God. We don't like that. We like to tell God what to do. We like to tell him, give him better ideas. Well, Lord, if you really want for me to get from here to there, the, the, the closest place between two points is a straight line. And the Lord's saying, but oh, you can't receive the... If I get you there to that place quicker, Mr. Kellogg, you're going to miss out on the journey. The ends don't justify the means. He's more concerned about the meandering that, that I have to go through. Not because he is not faithful, but because I'm learning i got to make decisions, and ultimately he's going to get me to that place, but it's going to be decisions that I make, either foolishly or prayer-led, and he's going to be doing something in my heart, and that is what it's all about, folks. In fact, I think the journey is more just as important as the final destination. Because if I get to the final destination without the journey, I'm going to be there premature. I'm going to be like a, bo- a baby that's born a few months too early. Does that make sense? There's something in the waiting. There's something in it. That cannot be done any other way. There's no cliff's notes. There's no shortcut. It has to be done that way. And God knows what he's doing. There is no other way around it. And yet, it's interesting that the Bible doesn't apologize about about, um, superstition in the lives of people, even in the Bible. Not necessarily the apostles or the major characters of the Bible. But even, you know, like the shadow of Peter passing by in the book of Acts, chapter 5. There was a, people became superstitious that if he just passed by and the shadow came across me, I'd be healed. So, you know, I'd roll out. If I'm a quadriplegic, I would roll out into the street. And maybe when the sun comes down, you know, around 4 o'clock, i got to roll out in front of him and get all dusty. And maybe, just maybe, the shadow of Peter would come upon me. Or what does it say in Acts 19? A handkerchief or an apron from the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine that? Well, let me get out my hanky. I got kind of a sneeze here. Oh, here you go. Oh, thank you, brother. Is that what healed the people? Or was it faith in the God who Paul believed in? See, God even allows these things, right? The men throwing Jonah overboard, was it because they were superstitious? Somebody made God mad. Somebody made one of the God mad, one of the gods mad. Did you make Poseidon mad? Oh, you've got to go overboard. We've got to get rid of you. What about Paul when he was on the island of Malta and the viper struck out from the, from the fire and fastened to his hand? Probably some kind of venomous beast, the Bible tells us. In Florida, I knew about venomous beasts. I used to live on Pine Island. And back in the early, you know, middle 70s, you know, it was fairly uninhabited. I mean, there was a few people. But it was the tropics. I mean, it was a real island, and you get to it by two bridges. My grandfather had a woodpile, and it was, had coral snakes. He's out there killing coral snakes every other day. Coral snakes. These are like really bad news, like one bite, 45 minutes, you're in glory kind of thing, right? But thank God I never saw any of those. But anyway, there was a lot of uh, superstition. Even their ships had Castor and Pollux on the front bust of the, of the boat. You've seen that before. Or sometimes it was St. Timothy or the head of St. Timothy on the front of a ship for good luck. And they did these things. And all throughout history we see that. And even today in sports, in music, there are uh, things that people do. Did you hear about this? The Detroit Red, Ring, Red Wings had a legend of the octopus. Have you heard of this? Even in sports today... 
It started when a Red Wings fan threw one of the critters, an octopus, onto the ice during a playoff game in 1952. It represented the eight wins needed to secure the Stanley Cup during the area. So after the incident, the Red Wings swept the playoffs, and the ice crew at Joe Louis Arena had been dealing with the mass, the mass excuse me, ever since. So the, the fans were starting to throw octopus or octopi out on the uh, thing, and because it, it helped them win the game, they thought they had a causation, a false causation, right? They thought that there was the octopus, so they did that. Michael Jordan, even early in his career, in his early, early in his career, he wore slightly longer shorts than other players because he needed to make room for his lucky North Carolina shorts, which he wore under his uniform throughout his career. So all kinds of these little things like this. You know, even Salvador Dali, the famous painter, he considered himself to be very superstitious and carried around a little piece of, of Spanish driftwood to ward off evil spirits. Sort of like a talisman to ward off evil spirits. And you see this kind of thing in music. I mean, music performers today, they all have their little ritual that they do before they go on stage. It's crazy what people do. And they put that, whatever success they might have, all it takes is once for, for something good to happen, and all of a sudden a superstition begins. And God will often allow a superstition to test whether you're going to trust him or not. He'll often even allow a false prophet to come. He did this with Israel. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 13, notice what it says. I'm just going to read you the first five verses. A similar concept here, but I think you'll get the point. Get the point. God said to them, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. God says, You shall not listen to them, to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of bondage to entice you from the way which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So shall you put away the evil from your midst. It's the same kind of idea with superstition. And we're a, a, a country filled with superstition. Be, you know, think of it. Think of all the things that happened. You know? And as I have grown in the Lord, I've started to identify these things. And I just started to little by little reject them. Because my life is not an accident. Things that happen in my life are not an accident. And they're not an accident for you either. And you don't have to worry about a black cat crossing your path. In fact, you can be on your way to a very dangerous job... Uh, a dangerous job. You could be, remember those guys who in the 30s or whenever it was, they were building the, the, the skyscrapers in uh, New York City and they're up there on the, those big girders and they're having lunch. You've seen those pictures. A worker like that could, you know, if he's a born-again believer, he could be down on his way to the work job. He could be holding a bunch of black cats in his arms. He could hold them in his arms, put them down, and then go up on that girder with great confidence. Because there's nothing that can thwart God's plan. So, 
Notice the five golden tumors, the five golden rats. It's interesting that they say that it was upon the five lords of the Philistines, even though this account that we have only seems to record three of them. We hear about Ashdod, which is in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. We hear of Gath, which is in chapter 5, verse 8. We also hear of Ekron, chapter 5, verse 10, but we don't hear of Ashkelon, and we don't hear of, um, of uh, Gaza. But evidently it happened there as well. And I wonder, if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 8, remember the ark was passing around, and there came a point in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 8, that they, um, that they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines. And they said, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And, and when they get together like this, what is basically happening? It's spreading. <laughs> right? We don't hear about Gaza, and we don't hear about Ashkelon, you know, the ark going there, but as they held this meeting and they all got together, what happens probably when they were together? The bubonic plague or the plague, whatever it is, starts to spread. So in verse 5 it says, Therefore you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats that ravage the land. You shall give glory to the God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods and from your land. He says, why then do you hard your hearts, harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? Remember that in Exodus? God was bringing judgment upon all the gods of Egypt. And every single time that their god was defeated, whether it was the god of the Nile, the god of the land, whatever it was, they, instead of, hardening, instead of giving their heart over and allowing God's people to go free, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And there came a point when he began to harden his heart so much, there's, it's recorded for us two or three times in those chapters that Pharaoh hardened, or God hardened Pharaoh's heart. You know, there's a time when we can harden our hearts so much, God says, is that what you really want? Is that what you really want? Is that the attitude that you really want? And God will allow your heart to be hard because you choose to make your heart your heart hard. He's always there trying to soften that with oil, like the song we sing. Soften my heart with oil by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is able to do that. But they didn't want anything to do with it, and their heart became hard. And so these diviners and these priests of the, of this, uh, of the Philistines, why are you hardening your hearts like Pharaoh? When he did mighty things among them, they, and, but they did, not, they did not let the people go that they might depart. Now, therefore, verse 7, make a new cart and take two milk cows that have never been yoked. Have you ever tried to yoke two cows that have never been yoked before? They don't really like it too much. It takes the Spirit of God to put a yoke on two cows that have never been yoked. God has to be in control. It's sort of like getting on a bowl for the first time that's never been broken. Try that sometime. You know, get, get, your, uh, get your spurs on, get your, you know, your leather uh, chaps on and your cowboy hat and get that toothpick sticking out like that. Hop on that beast and guess what? You're in traction because that thing is going to throw you several hundred yards away where no one will see you ever again. <laughs> right? But they put this yoke on these, on these two cows, and, and then to make matters worse, they take their calves from them, their young ones, which is kind of a problem. And then they said, take the ark of the Lord and set it on the, on the cart, and put the articles of gold, which you are returning to him as a trespass offering, in a chest by its side, then send it away and let it go. And so, you know, and this is interesting, because this is where the children of Israel really learned a really bad example. Because we read in Second Samuel chapter 6, remember... 
when David, uh, you know, nearly a hundred years after the event that we're looking at tonight, at least at least seventy or eighty years, maybe ninety, close to a hundred. David finally, when the ark rested in Abinadab's house there in in um, in Kirjath Jerim. David decides, you know, I'm king, I'm going to go and grab the ark and bring it back in, and so he does. But the last time they hear of the ark, prior to that, the, the big noise about what had happened, how the ark got there, ultimately, was that it was brought on a wooden cart. So David is thinking to himself, you know what, we can do this even quicker. We can get this done before lunch. Let's just get this done, right? So they put the, they put the ark on a new cart. They have the animals drive it. David's dancing, music's blaring, it's great, wonderful. In Ohio, the thing hits a a pothole in the road. In Ohio and Uzzah, these two men were there next to the cart, and the ark's about to fall, so Ohio reaches up, or Uzzah, I'm sorry, to secure the ark, and the Lord smotes him right there, brings him to death. And so David, they took the ark and they put it into Obed-Edom's house, not too far away. And there it stayed for three months before David would attempt it again. But the next time he knew what had went wrong, he says to the, the you can read this in um, uh, certainly Second Samuel chapter 6, but also in First Chronicles chapter 15, the first 13 verses. It talks about now he told them to go do it the right way. The Levites were supposed to carry that ark. So they learned this idea of bringing the ark in. And boy, worship when it's convenient really isn't worship at all. Because if you do the right thing in the wrong way, it doesn't matter, does it? You know, the ends don't justify the means. The means are just as important as the end result. The end result was get the ark into Jerusalem, where David was. But the means was very important to God. The means, folks, is so important. Never try to circumvent to make things quicker. If God has you going a different way, you'd better be obedient because you're going to go back to kindergarten again for remedial courses. This is an interesting thing. When I was in kindergarten, this is a true story. I went through kindergarten, and I was going to advance on to first grade. But guess what? They told me that I was immature and that I wasn't ready for first grade. I had to actually repeat kindergarten again. It's a true story, because whenever my teacher would turn her head, I would run out the door, and she wouldn't even know that I was gone, or she didn't know where I went, and I would play in the park across the street where I lived all day until the kids came home from school, and I was even smart enough to get a couple, my friend, John, who lived across the street. He had some papers, you know, the papers that you get when you're drawing and doing things, circling different colors and stuff. He would give me some of his papers, and I would look like I went to school, and I did this for a number of times until they finally caught up with me. And then I was busted. I was immature. I had to return back to kindergarten again. Kindergarten, folks. So, but notice verse 8 back in our text. It says <laughs> that the ark of the Lord, they set it on the cart. And they put the articles of gold in it for the trespass offering. And did you, did you know that God never required gold as a trespass offering? To the Jews, God had a very prescribed thing. We won't go into it tonight, but in Leviticus chapter 5, if you look at the first six verses, there was a very specific prescribed thing for a trespass offering. And of course they didn't know because they were pagans. They were doing the best that they could, but God never required the gold. They could have kept it for themselves. 
All they had to do was get the thing out of there and, and give it back to Israel, and they all would have been, probably been just fine. And they probably would have healed quicker if they gave their heart to the Lord and repented of their deeds, right? I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.